what we found is that location-independent folks or digital nomads look to this as like hope of their lifestyle, that they can maintain their lifestyle, find a partner, and have kids. Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories of freedom and adventure from travelers around the world. Here is your host, Hayden Lee. When I was a kid, my dad bought a motorhome, right? And we went in it. We went to France and all this stuff. And I always had this dream, and it's never left me. And I wonder how many of us have this same dream of just selling everything you own, cutting all ties, and just moving into a motorhome, an RV, or one of those big silver things you see in the States, you know, and just driving and just living and just being, you know. So your house and your home can be anywhere you want it to be. Home is where you park it. Can you imagine the freedom of just thinking, well, I've been in this place for a week, but I want to go see the mountains. And you can. You just go there and that's your new home and you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Now, I think what it looks like is that you'd have to give up a lot of semblances that's a long word for this late at night. Semblances of reality and society as we know it. Maybe you can't have a family. Maybe you can't have kids on the road. Maybe you can't have a dog. Would you be giving up all these things? Our guest for today is Paul Cortman, and he and his family of six do in fact live with their RV. They go around all the places in the US, they go down to Mexico, and they thoroughly enjoy it. Not only that, but if you are thinking about this, or if it's just on your mind, or if like me, it's a dream that you've always had, and you have questions... This guy has the answers to your questions. He is a fountain of knowledge and wisdom when it comes to RVing. And as an RVer, RVer, RVist, RVista, I'll go with that one. As an RVista, that's sexy. As you might expect, his connection is a little dodgy at times, but this is as we can expect from an RVista. But Paul brings with him a fascinating story from the road, and you guys are going to love this one. Right then, you're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Paul Cortman. Paul, how's it going? It's great, man. I'm loving life. Awesome. That's one of the best uh, answers I've had so far in this. It's great, man. I'm loving life. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Why so good, man? Well, it's because we've designed our life. We've designed our lifestyle. And so, like, in reality, I can find something to complain about. Any of us could. But when you sit down and say, I want to live here, and I want to live this way, and I want to be doing that, and things start coming together you got to just look around and say, this is awesome. Uh, Like, for example, I'm living in an RV with four kids in Mexico, living off of around a thousand to $2,000 a month. And I look around and go, I've got it made in the shade. So I just got to, you know, it's great. And I just got to fess up to that. 
Absolutely, man. Being appreciative of what you have in the situation that you're in. That's something I've been thinking about recently, man. Like we were talking just before the call about me having lived in a, lived, having visited a favela for two or three weeks in Brazil just before, just before this is being recorded. And it was there that I, well, I've realized it before, but it was there that it really hit home that people that are in, say, England or, say, the US or, say, Australia, they don't have a lot to complain about, you know? And it's, uh, I I don't know, for, for me, it seems like people that are living in in countries where they where they have everything they need and they have a roof over their head and they have all the food that they could ever want sometimes too much and people like that they seem to me like if you watch something like the kardashians and she says oh no i've got a stain on my on my $50,000 dress and you think what are you complaining about that is kind of how i'm now thinking about people complaining about the the life that they're in it's like dude you've got it made you know yeah and no matter where we go, no matter what we do, it's about a choice. Uh, are you going to look around positively or are you going to look around negatively? I've got a lot of problems. I mean, we could spend the next 45 minutes talking about all the complaints that I have. But in reality, it, I'm trying to be a more positive person. I have a very negative bent. And so just answering questions like, hey, how's it going? Well, try to answer it positively. Try to, not just like, hey, it's going good, but like, be really positive and say, you know what? Honestly, I'm healthy. I'm not stricken with a bacterial infection right now. So things are good. Uh, you can always find things that are positive if you look for it. Absolutely. And it does sound like a bit of a strange response. I'm not riddled with bacteria at the moment to, to how are you? But, you know, I'll go with it. <laughs> but I was speaking about this actually on the, uh, on the last episode. Um, so I was listening to a podcast and uh, the guy said, whenever some, he was in a, in a kind of, he was depressed for a while. He had depression and he said, whenever someone would ask me how I was, I'd say, great. And then what happened was people would say, why? And then he would have to think about and then list the reasons why his life is good. And so it really, really helped him to have that positive outlook, you know? Nice. Wow, that's really incredible. Totally good way to game it. Now, so Paul has been living a digital nomad lifestyle since, and these are words that crop up all the time, especially on this show, digital nomad lifestyle. He's been living this since 2013. Not only that, but living this lifestyle with a family, a family of six, is it, Paul? Yes, it is. Family of six. So now what usually happens is one or, you know, more commonly nowadays, both parents feel that they need to kind of sacrifice their ambitions and their wants and needs in order to raise a family. That's kind of what people generally think I've seen. So it seems like a pretty tough change to kind of make outwardly looking in, I mean. So what I want to ask you about is about the idea of making hard decisions, because I'd imagine it's something you'll have had to face in your time. Well, I want to back up and say, listen, my goal and my mission in life right now is to get out there, to get the word out that no, you don't have to compromise. You don't have to settle. You don't have to fall into the normal script of buy a house, have kids, settle down. Like that's, that's not true. And never more has it been untrue than now and tomorrow will be even more untrue that you have the freedom to make your life the way you want to. And even if that involves kids, even if that involves travel. So I'll get to your question with the hard decisions. But I think one of the first things that I need to spell out is we, my wife and I met because of our passion for travel. We've always enjoyed international travel and and, in experiencing other cultures and putting ourselves in 
challenging situations. And so then we got married, we had kids, and seven years later, we just kind of went, we don't like this life. And it's not like we always want to constantly be on the move. It's just seven years in one place that we really didn't love. And it was like, okay, what if we went out and traveled? What if we did what we really want to do? And our kids, lo and behold, we're stricken with the same travel bug that we are. Gee, I wonder where it came from. So, you know, to those of you out there, realize that if you and your significant other have this passion for travel, genetically, your kids will probably have that same passion. So when it comes to making hard decisions, it's we're, we're a little bit of an odd family in the fact that it wasn't that hard. It was more along the lines of just, we're crazy and we're submitting ourselves to being really lonely. Um, it's a whole nother conversation we could have about traveling, being a digital nomad or a location independent family and how it can be really lonely because the locals around you don't understand you and you can't talk to your friends and family back home because they're fairly stationary. And unlike being a digital, a single digital nomad where you're always in co-working and cafes and you can connect with people and make friends and, hang out at bars and all that. When you're dealing with a family, there's a whole slew of other things that you have to do. And so you don't get to socialize every day and meet people. And so there's this whole loneliness concept that comes in. And uh, it's, it's just kind of very interesting. So difficult decisions. We didn't have our kids in school. So there wasn't a difficult decision of pulling them out of school. We'd already homeschooled. Uh, I already ran a business from home. So it wasn't like quitting a job or anything, but for us, it was selling the house. We had purchased the house my wife had grown up in and her parents built a house further back on the property. And so we were literally on the family compound and there was a certain restriction that we couldn't sell to a certain family member, but we couldn't sell to non-family members. And so that left one person and we had to convince him to purchase the house. And uh, so we basically took, uh, we sold the house for half of what it's worth and lost 50% of the equity that we had built into it. And, but it was a huge sacrifice and a difficult decision, but it was the only way to reach our freedom. And so that's what we had to do. No way. That's crazy, man. Selling a house for half of what it's worth and following what you really, really want to do. That's kind of, there's a lot of strength behind that, you know, following what you want to do, even though you're going to lose uh, a lot of money, whatever, however much money means to you, or you're going to lose the ability to connect with your family on a local level. You're going to lose all of these things that, and I think it's interesting that they don't mean as much to some people as, as living that freedom does. And I think I, it sounds like a bad thing, but I think that's a brilliant thing thing if it's what they if it's what they choose and for me I, I'm exactly the same as you man freedom is everything now I'm interested about who about who brought it up because basically if you have two people and they're living in a place and they don't really like it that much generally what I've seen happen is people will stick with things whether they whether they like it or not because it's the status quo because it's what's happening at the moment and we, me and Paul were actually talking just before the call about my friend that's in a relationship and he doesn't want to be and she doesn't want to be but they still haven't called it off yet and it's that type of thing so i'm interested man is it just the people that you are and how you were brought up that gave you this kind of strength to walk away from these things well 
<laughs> there's a fun story there. Uh, so give me a minute. First of all, I'm a dreamer. I always have been a dreamer and my wife is the rationalist. And so I will lay out dreams and she'll be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Or, yeah, that's a fun dream. Yeah, whatever. Um, I actually, since a child, have had a recurring real dream where I fall asleep to this of where, uh, you know, I'm, I have this huge, massive fifth wheel, this beautiful truck and, you know, living in this awesome RV and whatnot. I have no idea why I had that as a dream as a child. I'm now living in a motorhome, so I think I've realized that dream to a certain degree. Uh, and that's pretty awesome, man. We're, you know, so first of all, I'm the dreamer. My wife's the rationalist. And one Sunday, we remember this very vividly. One Sunday afternoon, I had been listening to a couple of podcasts, reading a couple of books, uh, you know, the four hour work week, that sort of thing, and just realizing that the, the, almost unplugging from the matrix and saying this script doesn't have to happen. I don't. We don't have to follow this. And so my dreams were starting to bubble up the surface of like, and so I just threw it out there to my wife. I said, Hey, why don't we sell our house and move to Southeast Asia? Because it's so cheap to live there. And we, you know, we based it on simply on cost of living so that we could have a better quality lifestyle. And she bid it and she said, yeah, well run the numbers, see what happens. And I was like, okay. I'll call your bluff, whatever. You're totally bluffing on this. And so I ran the numbers and I came back to her and I'm like, it looks like we could actually make a lot more money or essentially save money by flying six people over to Southeast Asia and living there for a third of the price of what we're living right now. And she's like, okay, let's do it. And so I was just like, no way. This is a bluff. I'll go along with it. There'll be a problem somewhere. And so I was actually kind of almost negatively approaching this like sure i'll do it but it's not gonna happen and uh and then when it came to actually purchasing the plane tickets it took me 48 hours to actually click the purchase button because i was like no this can't be real like really we're going to do this and it had been six months or whatever but me the dreamer the one who's always doing wild and crazy things i couldn't actually bring myself to click that button and it took a lot of sit-down sessions with Becky and I, my wife and I, to say, do you want to do this? Are you real about this, Paul? Because we're all in. We sold 90% of what we own. It's time to purchase the tickets. And uh, so that was, that was a, a bit inspirational to me that I had thrown out an idea. My wife grabbed onto it and uh, made it her own. And I'm just imagining what it would have been like if you sold 90% of your stuff and then it came to buying the tickets and you were like, nah, not going to buy them. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, have, we have no house. We sold our house, Paul. <laughs> you know? Oh, that'd be great. There's, well, one of the funny things is the day after like this massive yard sale where we sold almost everything we owned and the day after, my wife's like, hey, we need to cook food and we are missing X, Y, and Z. And so I had to run out to the Goodwill to buy X, Y, and Z because we had sold our can opener or we had sold our spatula. And so we had, you know, missing utensils that we needed to cook with. So it, it was just very funny how you think about, well, we want to get this yard sale done, but then there's going to be three weeks before we actually fly, you know, like, 
what are you going to do for those three weeks with nothing? So uh, it was pretty entertaining to see how challenging it was to live in the U.S. with next to nothing. That's it, man. It's all about kind of a tin of beans, open it up with a knife and get a lighter underneath it. That's what it's about, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when you've got no, no can opener, no forks, no nothing, and just, just down it like a drink. Just drink the beans, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, guys, Paul and I could talk about how you're going to making this a reality, you know, all the digital nomad and everything. But as we'll talk about after the story, his book, especially if you're in a family, his book or have a family rather, is really the place to go. So, Paul, man, I want to talk about the the kind of benefits of this lifestyle for you and how how long do you see yourself doing this for the for, for the uh, for the rest of time for the foreseeable future? Uh, it's it's kind of in our blood right now. Um, we do want to create a different lifestyle in the next couple of years, and that would be where we have a home base uh, that has horses. Um, it's a passion of my wife and my daughter, and so we will at some point in time have somewhat of a home base with our own horses that we then travel from, and we have somebody live there and take care of our horses when we're not around. So, uh, you know, we'll be there six months out of the year, and then we'll be gallivanting around the world for another six months. So a little bit of a shift than what we're doing right now of where we technically have no home base and we're just kind of free spirits. Um, but how long is that going to last? Well, it all depends on finances. So uh, for the foreseeable future, yeah, this is what we've got. We do know what we want to do next. And we're right now kind of putting our toe in the water as to where it's going to be. As far as we know right now, it's probably going to be in Mexico. We've absolutely fallen in love with this country. We also have a strong passion for South Africa, uh, for obvious reasons, for nature, um, and for their culture. We really love Africa and South Africa in particular. However, the cost of living specifically on internet is not cheap at all. And the safety issues. There's, it's just significantly more unsafe in South Africa than it is in Mexico. And if you live in the United States, you would never believe that because of all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that is spread about Mexico and the drug cartels and people dying every day. Here in, here in um, Mexico, you never see guns. Owning a gun is only a cartel or the police, and the police barely ever have guns. So like, it's just not a thing. However, in South Africa, everybody's got guns and you don't trust the police. The police have guns, but you don't trust them. And so you hire your own security guards. And the way the security guards show that they're security guards is that they carry their gun out in visible sight. And so like every corner you turn around, there's guns. And it's just it's worse than in the States because you don't ever see them in the States. And so it just has this, uh, you know, um, like feeling of doom surrounding you even when you're just out at the park and you know exercising or, or going out for a walk mm, yeah i know exactly what you mean man it's it the whole gun thing as well it sounds similar to we were talking just before the call um i've just been in a favela in rio or in niteroi more specifically and the, the amount of guns there you hear the gunshots at night and everything like this and it's just the, i i know what you mean with the feeling of doom in the air doom seems like such a, a strange word for it but but i'd say that's that's kind of the right word it's it's there's a feeling in the air like man this could be it you know something's going down it's it's a strange feeling yeah and like you know like we're living in mexico right and so there are you know we were near a city when there were 
significant protests and 30 people were shot and killed. Uh, and we actually drove through that the day before that happened. So, you know, like things happen, but if you look at the news in the U S these sorts of things happen as well. It's just more along the lines of generally in commonplace when you're walking on the streets, do you feel that presence of danger? And I'd say in Mexico, 99% of the time, no, not at all. And that's where we kind of go, okay, so the reality on the street is this is a safe place. Uh, you just, I mean, don't do stupid things, which all of us travelers totally understand. <laughs> that's exactly it, man. It's That's something I took with me to the favela in Brazil. It's like, look, dude, you're the only white guy here. Just don't go out uh, at night and smoke a cigarette and then go back into the house. You know, it's it's not such a wise idea, you know. And when you're in the house, lock the windows, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Now, man, I really, really want to get onto your story. I'm so looking forward to it. Whereabouts does your story take place for us today? Well, it takes place in Mexico, and uh, and it has to do with uh, our RV, which is thirty-seven feet long in meters. It's about eleven and a half meters, so it's a it's a massive vehicle. Wow, that is an RV in capital letters, man. That's insane. <laughs> cool. So, if you could give this story a name, what would you call it? That's a tough. Why you should never trust Google Maps. <laughs> yes. Yes, we'll go with that. I'm so excited about this. I've had some experiences in my time with uh, putting way too much trust into Google Maps. <laughs> it's a few times. <laughs> and when it goes wrong with Google Maps and finding a way around, oh boy, does it go wrong. So I'm looking forward to this one, right? You are listening to the Travel Stories podcast. And this is Paul Cortman with Why You Should Never Trust Google Maps. It started back when we decided to buy this RV. We bought it sight unseen. People asked me afterwards, had you ever driven an RV before a motorhome? I didn't think of it at the time, but no, I had never driven a motorhome before. You know, like, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I've driven some large vans, but, you know, no big deal. I hopped in and we instantly started, okay, we're road tripping from California back to Michigan. You know, we're never going to be in this neck of the woods again. So let's go up to this park in California. And so we did. We said, okay, there's a KOA, a little campground. This is our first night in a motorhome. Let's go check it out. And so we went and parked there and instantly we had issues with the RV, like we're leaking hydraulic fluid. We overcame that and we started the next day. We drove through this park. And what I didn't know about this park is that it's really meant for cars or four wheel drive vehicles. And our RV is 11 meters long. It takes up an entire lane. The rocks for the mountains were right next to the road. So as I went through, we actually busted off our side view mirror. I just kind of jump into things, wing it, we'll figure it out as we go. And sometimes we lose a mirror. We then realized that 
we're going to need a smaller vehicle to get around once we park this big rig. And so how do we do this? So we decided we're going to pull our minivan behind us. Then it turns out the only way to do it really is to put it on a trailer. Well, the trailer adds an additional 20 feet to the entire length of the vehicle. So now our 37-foot motorhome has a 20-foot trailer behind it, and we're driving 57 feet. And we spent six months driving through the U.S. We got down into Mexico, and we found ourselves in binds here and there where you had to back up and turn and back up and turn and back up and turn and back up and turn, and eventually you can make a corner and get out of it. And we use Google Maps to get us to places. There's a common understanding amongst RVers in Mexico when it comes to Google Maps is it may say it's going to take you five hours to get here, but in reality, it's going to take you seven. So we just kind of got used to, okay, we're going to do a four-hour road trip according to Google, and it'll probably take us all day. So we would only plan four-hour trips. Well, this one day, we decided to plan a bit of a longer trip because we it's it's in an unsafe state in Mexico and this little bubble around the city was a safe place and so we're like let's get there and let's push it and we did Google Maps took us down a road that no vehicle should be on never mind an 8 foot wide 57 foot long rig we got on this tiny back alley. We're going up the mountain, essentially. This is a super steep slope, and there is no way I'm gonna get up this, says my wife. And we call our RV Gracie. I'm like, Gracie can handle this. This'll be a breeze. Come on, Gracie. And I just put that pedal down, and we start going up this slope, and going up this slope, and the RV is revving and revving and revving. And we slow down and we're about halfway up this hill. It just stops. I've got the pedal to the metal and we are not going forward. And then we start going backward. It is a two-way road that really is only wide enough for one vehicle. So now we're gonna start blocking traffic and people are trying to help us to get turned around. I realized there's no way we can turn around in these tiny hotel parking lots. So we end up backing back down and a corner, an intersection where it had taken us a good 15 minutes to get through this intersection going forward, took us about 45 minutes to get through it going backwards. I'm stressed out of my gourd. We get to this intersection where it's a little bit easier to turn and everybody says, go that way and so we decide to go that way and then google maps says nope turn around and i realized how bad google maps was like it just had no idea that this was completely the wrong direction no cars went down that road no cars used that because it was just awful and for google maps to route us a ginormous rv down that road was just stupid but there's an RV park that's right here. We're like on top of it. And Google says, 
turn left. We went to turn left, and unfortunately, the grade of that slope was just at the wrong pitch. When you take a big 37-foot-long vehicle and you put it up a mountain, the hitch that comes out from it that hooks onto the trailer goes down and starts to dig into the pavement, which on one hand is no big deal because you just step on the gas and keep driving. No big deal. I know how to do this. And so I just step on the gas and keep going. That was the moment I should have stopped because what I ended up doing, the angles were just wrong. Our front wheels were on the road going up the hill and our hitch had ground further and further into the road. By the way, we're now blocking two lanes of traffic. Our drive wheels were suspended in the air. Can't go forward, can't go backwards. I can't do anything. And I'm blocking two lanes of traffic. We are literally a hundred feet away from the entrance to the campground. We're stuck. So like eight guys just show up and we start trying to get the trailer unhooked because that's the first step is get the trailer unhooked so you got less weight. Never once did it cross my mind of like, you know, you probably should just call a wrecker, a tow truck to get yourself out of this. Uh, it was more along the lines of just, hey, here's people who are willing to help. We're going to use all of our strength combined and we're going to get this off. You know, we did what we could and we finally got the trailer off. Funny thing is, because the hitch was so low, I couldn't get the van off the trailer that way because the angles were wrong. And so the van got stuck on the back of the trailer, which was now blocking a third lane. The police were there and they were just getting traffic around us and telling us we had to pay for the damage to the road and then we had to get it out of there or else the federales were going to show up and they were going to charge us multiple thousands of dollars to take care of this problem. And so finally it just got to the point after an hour of monkeying with things and trying different things, I did use the van. We finally got the van off. We got the trailer off and I used the van to hook a tow strap to the van to the motorhome and tried to pull it up the hill. And I did move the motorhome about six inches. Hey, can somebody call a tow truck? The tow truck needed to be paid and I needed to pay my fine for the damage to the road. Lo and behold, I didn't have any cash today. So they impounded our car overnight. Uh, yeah, he simply hooked up, pulled us uh, backwards. We were able to drive, and only took, once he unhooked from us, had us in the road, it only took us five minutes to get the camper into the actual RV park. Ah, Google Maps. How I hate thee. That was Paul Cortman with Why You Should Never Trust Google Maps.
Paul, thank you so much for that story. I love that, man. And you know what I love? I love how even when you were heading up that hill, your wife maintained her realism. Oh, we're not going to make it. And you were still a dreamer. Oh, we'll make it. We'll make it to the top. I love that, man. Yeah, sometimes my dreams don't work out. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that one's the good story. Whereas there are so many other times where it's like, she's like, you can't make that turn. You can't make that turn. And then we make the turn. Oh, man. How much uh, of a dude do you feel when that happens? You're like, no, uh, I'll make it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I can't tell you how many times we've scratched things and dinged things because I thought we could make the turn. And while we made it, we took a tree out on our way. And she just like looks at me and goes way to go she doesn't say dreamer but she probably ought to way to go dreamer you thought you could make that turn <laughs> yeah but then the, the obvious uh, response to that is well we made it didn't we you know yeah we don't have a mirror but come on we're here <laughs> oh, exactly i love it man. <laughs> man do you find this the kind of balance of personalities that way do you find it helps with like planning and traveling and, and the things that do happen along the way do you, th- do you find it's a really good balance to have yeah, we we often talk about how we cover over each other's weaknesses. There's a there's a lesson that I was taught as a kid. Um, when you fold your hands, so you put your your knuckles together, or whatever your fingers over each other, you look, and if you talk about what the weakest part of your hand is, and it's that spot, it's where you get your paper cuts between your fingers, that webbing, and that's like the weakest spot of your hand. But the stronger spots are actually the bones in your fingers and so when you fold your hands together you actually the stronger parts cover up the weaker parts one of the lessons that i've learned from that back when when we first started location independence as a family we flew to southeast asia and around the world and when i first did it it was like okay becky you're going to take care of the kids and i'm going to go solve this problem or whatever because there's always problems with flights and all this and so i would go up to the desk and I would make a decision and make it happen. I'd come back and say, this is what we're doing. And she's like, wait a minute. I should have been consulted on this. And so it was me just kind of marching ahead and ignoring my wife's strengths. And so now when a situation comes up and it happens all, all the time in our being, and it's like, okay, babe, we've got three choices. I'm feeling this. Can you tell me why we shouldn't? Or what would you say we should do and so then we talk about our three choices instead of me just going gut shot with whatever i think is best and it turns out to be that uh, i do have another story for another day uh which involves um trying to flee immigration getting caught by state police and blowing three tires on our vehicle on our van so but in that case i did consult with her she just didn't really tell what she really felt because she knew what I wanted to do. And so had I listened to her more closely and she spoke up a little more loudly, uh, we would have been saved uh, trouble with the law. Yeah, man, that's crazy. And I, I totally love that analogy you said about the hands going together. I'm sure everyone listening just put their fingers together like, oh, yeah, it totally works. And uh, I absolutely love that, man. And it sounds like uh, sounds like you and your missus are like Jobs and Wozniak, you know? Not that I'm referring to your missus as Wozniak, you understand, but it sounds like you really have that balance. <laughs> 
But that's cool, man. I yeah. think that's what everyone, what everyone really wants in the world, you know, someone to balance all of their, all of their traits. So you've got, so you're no longer, you're no longer just two people together that are kind of, uh, you know, put together and you, you want to go that way and you want to go that way, but you balance out each other's strengths and weaknesses to make one congruent team that makes the best decisions for, for what they need. That sounds amazing, man. Yeah take the rose colored glasses off it's not as easy as it sounds uh it's a constant work in progress because i tend to be narcissistic and think that what i'm doing is best and so i constantly have to you know rein the horses in pull back and say okay babe what do you think and so it's a constant work it's it's not easy but when i do it right it's beautiful Mm. and it's awesome yeah, man, I know exactly what you mean. I kind of have the same trouble. I, I also have narcissistic traits, as we were talking about before the call. And uh, I find it very hard, just like you, to to say, hey, man, what do you think? Or, you know, to someone else and ask their opinion. When in your head, and I know exactly how, how you're thinking about this, man, when in your head you're thinking, well, I might as well ask him. I mean, my idea is obviously the best, but I might as well ask him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's I know exactly what you mean. to prove me wrong. This is the best idea, but I'll let try <laughs> that's it man that's it. something else and but. it's so good though it's so good when you meet someone that that you you do ask them that and they come up with an idea or they they bring a new thing to the table that you haven't thought of now the only people um in recent memory i can think of is is the team behind this behind this show behind, uh cody and nicole if i will always anything about the show i will take everything to them and go guys what do you think because i know that their opinions are so valuable to me they have so much wisdom that i don't have and all these things they balance it so well and i'm sure it's the same with your wife it's great to have those people that you can even if you think well my idea is going to be great you bounce it off someone you go hold on this is a better idea why didn't i ask them before it does happen believe it or not (laughs) (laughs) absolutely sometimes sometimes so man i want to talk about your book family freedom man if you could uh, if you could describe it in say like a sentence what would that sentence be man this is not a story about us this is not a cheap sell uh great fictional story or whatever this is a guidebook of the steps you need to take the things you need to consider the answers of all of your questions as you approach living as a location independent family Awesome. Awesome. So if anyone out there is looking to be a location independent family, and what about if they're, if they're single or just have, uh, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a wife or, or whatever, would it still work for them or is it, uh, mostly family based? It does. Uh, it's, it's family based. So, um, you know, if like there's an entire section on schooling for kids, uh, so, but, you know, the, the section for insurance or the section for, uh, remote, income or location independent revenue uh those would be beneficial to anybody um but obviously our whole bent with it is to support families who are making this choice what we found is that location independent folks or digital nomads look to this as like hope of their lifestyle that they can maintain their lifestyle find a partner and have kids and so even for those of you who are single or or just with a partner um, you, you know, again, you can have hope to not live that normal script of having kids and settling down because quote, it's what's best for the kids. It's total malarkey. And this book doesn't, you know, step out to prove that it's more along the lines of, Hey, if you want to live location independent with kids as a family, here's the things that most people, uh, have questions about 
here's the answers for those seven main categories of questions. Nice. Man, it sounds super interesting. And I like that you refer to it as a guidebook. It sounds like it's a lot more of what it is rather than, like you say, recounts and stories and everything like that. And I also appreciate that you uh, that you respected the non-explicit tag on this and said the word malarkey. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are family friendly and everything. Is, of course. There are the after hours. <laughs> You can talk about that later. Of course, man, of course. Now, I also want to talk about the Nomad Together podcast. Now, it's a name that instantly jumps out to me like, man, that's got to be something interesting. Nomad, cool, together, also cool with the word man. What's it about? What happens on there? So we took a different approach. There's a lot of, like even your podcast, inspirational stories there's a lot of great stories about families selling everything and moving out traveling the world or you know living a location independent lifestyle but there's very little out there this kind of comes from our whole guidebook mentality there's very little out there that is a podcast form that says here's what you need to do to solve this problem brilliant that sounds amazing man it sounds super practical super hands-on super tips on how to actually not how to not how to start although i imagine that is in there but how to actually do it whilst you're there because i'd imagine when you start and when you are being location independent and being nomadic you have a lot of questions you come up come up with a lot of obstacles and you think well how do i do this even the simplest things that you that you wouldn't really think of until you're out there and it becomes your new reality you think well what do i do now and so it sounds like this podcast is kind of the hands-on way to deal with these things so man that sounds amazing and is that a similar thing with the website home along the way home along the way is just our personal travel blog uh so if you're looking for inspiration or if you really want to follow our crew get to know our names uh learn about our dog moo moo then you can head on over to home along the way we get a lot of traffic there um because it's crazy stories about getting an rv stuck uh and um so that's that's more for the inspirational and for the, the people who know us or who want to stalk us. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll have all that linked up in the show notes for you guys. And Paul, is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Anything we've, uh, anything we've missed? Uh, just the big, nothing pimping anything, perhaps, but uh, the, the thing I want to get across the most is to be your cheerleader. It's what Becky and I uh, have done and are doing, it's our goal in life, is to help anybody who wants to live a location-independent lifestyle as a family. Like, we want to help. And so we're developing, we're not going to do courses. We might not even write another book. But we're developing um, certain masterminds or certain groups and ways in which we can actually help you one-on-one or one-on-a-group and, and get you to whatever you need to do to either become location-independent or to do it as a family or whatever. And so my wife, uh, we have a Facebook group that you can join if you have kids or if you're actively planning on having kids. It's called Location Independent Families. All you got to do is search on Facebook for Location Independent Families. And my wife has volunteered her entire time that if anybody asks a question there, she will go out and do the research and do the digging to find out. So for example, somebody asked, Hey, I'm taking my dog with me from the U.S. into Canada and back. What paperwork do I need? My wife is sleuthing that out for them right now to be able to answer those questions. So if that's something that you find valuable, uh, this Facebook group is for you. 
That's amazing, man. That's amazing. So like I said, what we'll do is we'll put everything that we've mentioned in this show in the show notes on travelstoriespodcast.com. You can go check out everything Paul and his family have to offer. Paul, thanks so much for coming on, dude. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. It's always fun to tell stories around the campfire, as it were. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's got to be some type of uh, some type of word for the Travel Stories podcast, the campfire. Maybe in another life it was called that, but I love that, the campfire. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on, dude. It's been so much fun. It's been great having you. Happy to be here. It's me again. The head. Oh, that's a 90s English joke for you. Don't forget to send your questions in for the end of season Q&A. Search on Facebook, Travel Stories Podcast, or email me, Hayden, at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. Have a good one, you guys. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to the Travel Stories Podcast. Get in touch with Hayden on Twitter at Travel Stories UK or online at TravelStoriesPodcast.com where you can find all of the show notes and resources. Subscribe to the show to join us next time for another immersive, inspiring and international travel story on the Travel Stories Podcast.